y'all. This is, oh, just say hi. I'm still here. <laughs> this is the History Was podcast. I'm Lexi. I'm Morgan. And I'm Eric. We trapped him in a room and he can't leave. No, I demanded <laughs> to stay until they said something that was not as depressing as last episode. Fair. Um, so Fair. we are recording this in advance. Yeah. Um, so when this comes out, I will be on my honeymoon. Yay! Um, Where are you going to be? Uh, when this comes out? Mm-hmm. Processing. Hold. Uh, I think we'll be going between Napa and Lake Tahoe that day. And that's that right. Sounds... You're going to the south of Tahoe, which yeah. is so nice. I'm so excited. I love South Tahoe. I'm so excited. Dream honeymoon. Yeah. For sure. I get wine. I get skiing. The lake's going to be complete. I do recommend you walk down to the lake. Yeah. Because it's completely frozen over. That's cool. And okay. it's so cool. That's it's so cool. Yeah. Get it? Do you get, get it? it? Do it, you it's, get it? Yeah. Um, it's yeah, ice so. cold. Yes. How cool? How cool? Ice, ice, ice cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just got done recording um, Simone's History Hill request, which was extremely informative, but very much a downer. Yeah. Um, but still things that we needed to know. Um, but now we are here with happier things that we should need to know. Yep. Um, it's our second yeah. episode of Black History Month. Yeah. So we're continuing that trend um, mm-hmm. for Black History Month, and we are excited to bring you uh, these amazing women in yes. history. Yep, black women in history, entrepreneurs. Well, you're. Yeah, mine well, is yours like also does that. But one yeah. section of there's one line about her being an entrepreneur <laughs> all right, all right, in okay, her okay. entire life. Like she's right. amazing. But I'm very excited to hear about her. Yeah. Um, um, tell us about our wine. Yeah. So we have a wine. I was in the Trader Joe's and came across this. It's from the McBride Sisters Collection. It's called Black Girl Magic Red Blend. And and there's a little blurb on the back. I'll read that for you guys. Um, Black Girl Magic is more than a phrase. It's a feeling, a look, a mood, a taste. The Black Girl Magic Collection is our personal ode to our culture and story, inspired by the magic and resilience of black women to be enjoyed by all. We created these wines to draw a parallel to the culture, beauty, and style of the black women as a means to inspire, inform, and invite in all who appreciate and respect what Black Girl Magic truly means. Our red blend is smooth, voluptuous, and full-bodied with flavors of cherry and plum, cedar, and vanilla. So. Usually I'm not huge on red blends, but this one is very good. Oh, I haven't tried it's, it yet. Oh, sorry. I just sipped it. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Cheers. I think it's dry, but it's very fruit-forward, and you really get that vanilla. So you know my wine, my wine preferences. Sweet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Eric prefers juice. I yeah. do. Um, the blood leave of my Christ. three sons out of this. <laughs> but this is actually really good. I like this. Okay, okay good. Yeah. yeah, I was just looking and I was I was just trying to find a wine and I was like, I don't know. I'm, how am I going to tie this in? I don't know what it was. And then I saw this one and I was like, oh, well, it's perfect because it's actually supporting the black community, which is nice. You yeah. said Trader Joe's? Yeah, it was in Trader Joe's and it was there. But it wasn't It wasn't like cheap, I don't think. It was like, hmm, I don't know. I'll about, check 11 mine. bucks, which I guess it's not, it's, it's, it's not expensive, but it's not like... I say not cheap because Trader Joe's has two dollar wine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not. Cheap. It's not two buck chuck. Yeah, no, it's, it's moderately not. priced and delicious. I agree. Highly recommend. And what's guys. the ABV on it? Oh, I don't know. Just so we know what we're getting into. Thirteen point five. Nice. Okay. Oh. Mhm. Nice little little drink. Uh, but yeah, so we're excited. It's our second time in Black History 
month stories. I'm very excited because we didn't, we weren't recording last February, so yeah, still fairly new. Um, but yeah, are we ready to break in? Do we want to talk about anything? Is um, there anything to cover? Question, because I know about about up earlier. Is this gonna be a Wild Women of History? I think it I will think be. we are going to make it a Wild Women of History. I don't see why not. I think this would be an excellent yeah. addition. Those are always my favorite episodes. <laughs> they are good usually. They're usually we, pretty good. We love Wild Women. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. May we be them. May you marry one. <laughs> should you be lucky enough. If I am lucky enough, yes. Yes. Well, should we all be lucky enough to know them? Um, okay. So, very excited to cover my person for this week. Uh, but first, in researching this episode, uh, we were kicking around a few possible names for the episode, and we had considered the phrase Black Excellence, which in and of itself is a good thing. But I ran across a couple articles with really interesting perspectives on this. And I'm going to be quoting heavily. And I'll call the sources out in real time because these are perspectives that I can't write because it's from the black perspective. Um, but in a Brown University blog post, it reads, quote, In today's society, the term black excellence is often used when celebrating the achievements of black people within the American community. Urban Dictionary defines black excellence as someone that is black and portrays great qualities and abilities and make the it makes the black community proud. Author of Why is Black Excellence So Important, Nade Anu writes, Black excellence is, in fact, our ancestors' wildest dreams. It is what we, as people of African descent, strive for each and every day. It is the lifeblood of what keeps us going when it seems our humanity is being questioned. Black excellence is me and every other black person working towards the advancement of our people. The article says this definition equates black excellence to more of an action and is beneficial to the black community because it equates this excellence to a black individual upholding their community as opposed to a single action which primarily benefits that one individual. But how we use the phrase, uh, it could be, or anybody, it can be restraining or harmful to the black community. The article describes an example of this being like being used with the term to celebrate something that should be considered an expectation or normal. Um, and the article described one, one example of this being like a black individual going to college. And while going to college is a good thing, and according to the U.S. Department of Education, there is a lower percentage of black college students enrolling in comparison to white and Hispanic students of the same age, that doesn't mean we should begin to expect it to be or not expected to be normal that black students are entering college. Um, in an Essence article written by Stephen Underwood, he writes, quote, Black exceptionalism is a specter of our community that harms us as much as we imagine it helps. It is the idea that by virtue of being black, we are gifted, burdened, or obligated to excel. Anything short of one's best is a divergent off the straight and narrow set up for us by whatever generation suffered before us and a dishonor to what we owe them. Later in the article, he described what it meant for black individuals' failure to be excellent throughout their history in America as a separation of sorts between success and failure, and failure within blackness typically meant an inability to capture a sense of whiteness, a sense that you can be or of gain or a challenge to whiteness. So... 
In a Forbes article written by Janice Kassam Asser, she writes, Black exceptionalism is often used to justify black humanity. She wrote about a recent example that occurred back in 2020 with England's national soccer team after three black players on the team missed their penalty kicks. Grossly, but sadly, predictably, there were so many racist comments in social media. Some users, however, commented back and said it was awful that these players were suffering this abuse, given what good guys they were. One of the players in particular, Marcus Rashford, spearheaded a campaign to provide meals for children during the pandemic. While another player... I have his jersey. <laughs> while another player, Jaden Sancho, teamed up with Nike to build a soccer field facility for young people in London. But by this chain of reasoning, these players shouldn't have been called these names because they're good guys. Not because they're people of color and you just shouldn't use racial slurs. Um, so all in all, the term black excellence, though coined and used often as a term of coming from a genuine place of wanting to uplift and celebrate the black community, it's possible for it to harm in equal measure. From what I understood reading the articles, using the term out of the wrong context is a huge strain on the mental wellness of the black community. It takes away their right to fail and substitutes perfectionism, which is, is toxic awful. as fuck. Right, because the, you can't underestimate the ability to fail with grace and, and not under extreme scrutiny. Like to always be excellent and perfect all the time yeah. is a huge strain. I'm reading um, this book right now. It's called Hood Feminism. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like just starting it, but uh, it opens with saying uh, the idea of like the strong black woman is like harmful because mm -hmm. like I think black women are exceptionally strong, but it's because they have to be. It's in like it's... society demands it of right. them. They're put in these awful situations and they have mm -hmm. to be resilient. And in reality, uh, the author just says like, we're normal women mm -hmm. we're normal women just all like the same you. thoughts and feelings. all of yeah like and you, when we do something it's it's, it's even after overcoming all these things and it's great right. to uphold the community as a whole and say like yes like look at these like these normal people who are still capable of doing all these things and they're they're just like us you know yeah, but also it's they're normal it's, people it's a very complicated and... Like, yeah. it's subsection of, of, like, where it's coming from this genuine place of wanting to, to do something right, but it's also, you just, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, I just wanted to include it because, especially as a white person, yeah. you know, we hear things and We're trying to see all right, perspectives of it. And you want to be involved, or at least out of the fucking way of black people <laughs> trying to succeed, um, and words have a lot of power. And after reading this article, I just thought it would be good to have those different perspectives. Um, but, with that... Today, I will be covering historic black entrepreneur and first female self-made millionaire in America, Madam C.J. Walker. Born Sarah Breedlove in December 23, uh, 1867 in Louisiana, she had five siblings, an older sister, Lavinia, and four brothers. Sarah's parents were both recently freed slaves, and Sarah was the first of the children to be born free. Her mother died in 1872 likely from cholera, and her dad died a year later, and Sarah was placed into an orphanage at the age of seven before being sent to live with her sister and her brother-in-law uh, at age 10, um, and then they moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi. 
Sarah was employed picking cotton and likely doing domestic household work as well. At age 14, Sarah left her sister's house and got married to Moses McWilliams to escape what both of my sources said was abuse from her brother-in-law, but they didn't expound on it any further to say, like, what, and I guess it doesn't really matter that she was being abused. Um, Sarah and Moses have one daughter, uh, Alelia, I think it is, um, before Moses died five years after the marriage. Sarah and Alelia moved to St. Louis, where Sarah's brothers lived and worked as barbers. She found work as a washerwoman, earning just about a dollar fifty a day, which was enough to send Alelia to city public schools, which is what she really wanted for her daughter, um, to get a good education. Uh, Sarah also attended public night school whenever she could. During the 1890s, Sarah suffered severe dandruff and developed a scalp disorder that caused her to lose a lot of her hair. Some sources attribute this to a general poor diet um, and lack of access access to regular baths, because, I mean, at this time, nobody's got access to indoor plumbing. Um, but I would also suspect if she was working as a laundress, the chemicals from doing the washing there were probably completely exacerbated whatever she hair. had. Yeah. Even if she had, like, a regular scalp issue, those chemicals would have exacerbated the shit out no, of it. Well, because it detergents to dry out your scalp. Exactly. Um... But at this time, she began to experiment with home remedies and store-bought hair care treatments to try and relieve some of her symptoms. Initially, Walker learned about hair care from her brothers. As we said earlier, they were barbers. Around the time of the World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904, Walker became a commission agent selling products for Annie Malone, another very successful black hair care product entre entrepreneur and owner of the Poro Company. While working for Malone, um, who would later become Walker's largest rival in hair care industry, Sarah began to take her knowledge and develop her own product line, specifically for the black community. In 1905, when she was 37 years old, Sarah and her daughter moved to Denver, Colorado, where she continued to sell products for Malone, and she continued to develop her own hair care business. Obviously, you probably see this coming. A controversy developed between Annie Malone and Sarah because Malone accused Sarah of stealing her formula, which was a mixture of petroleum, jelly, and sulfur uh, that had been used for over 100 years. Um, in 1906, Sarah married a newspaper advertising salesman named Charles Joseph Walker, who she met in St. Louis. It was at this time Sarah became known as Madam C.J. Walker. Charles encouraged Walker to keep working on her line of products, and he helped her create advertisements that he would put in, his, in the newspaper he worked for, uh, for her hair care treatment for African Americans. Soon, Walker put her daughter in charge of the mail order operation in Denver, and in 1907, Walker and her husband traveled around the South and Southeast, promoting her products and giving lecture demonstrations of her, quote, Walker method, involving her own formula for pomade, brushing, and the use of heated combs. In 1908, Walker and her husband relocated to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So did she invent the hot comb? I don't know if she invented it, but she definitely used it. I'd have okay. to look it up. Maybe it's possible. Okay. Um, but that was just part of her method. So she had, like, the, the pomade, there was, like, brushing, and then the heated comb. So, like, there was, like, a whole thing. Um, so they relocate to Pittsburgh, uh, where they open a beauty par parlor and establish the College of Beauty Culture to train her hair culturists. As an advocate of black women's economic independence, she opened training programs in the Walker system for her national network of licensed sales agents who earned commissions. 
After Walker closed the business in Denver in 1907, Alelia joined her in Pittsburgh. 1910, when Walker established a new base in Indianapolis, which is a fucking hard name to say, um, <laughs> Alelia ran the day-to-day operations in Pittsburgh and also persuaded her mother to establish an office and beauty salon in New York City's growing Harlem neighborhood in 1913. Good a, call, daughter. Mm-hmm. A neighborhood which would later become a center for African-American culture. Absolutely. Um, in 1910, Walker relocated her business to Indianapolis, where she established the headquarters for the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. She initially purchased a house and factory at 640 Northwest Street, where Walker created a factory, a hair salon, and beauty school to train her agents, and added a liberal... <laughs> She's like laboratory. so motivated. Yeah, girl, you haven't so even heard it all. She's not like you don't even know. Uh, <laughs> she also added a laboratory to help with research. Many of her company's employees, including those in key management and staff positions, were women. Between 1911 and 1919, during the height of her career, Walker and her company employed several thousand women as sales agents for its products, and by 1917. The company claimed to have trained nearly 20,000 women. Walker understood the power of advertising and brand awareness. Heavy advertising, primarily in African-American newspapers and magazines, in addition to Walker's frequent travels to promote her products, helped make Walker and her products well-known in the United States. In addition to training in sales and grooming, Walker showed other black women how to budget, build their own businesses, and encourage them to become financially independent. In 1917. Which is a hard thing to learn. Yep. If, especially. In if, 1917. Yeah. Right. For A, for women in general at that time. B, for, for black, black women. women like, in say, like, it's in America? Yeah. In 1917? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, some of those people may not even been born free. Right. I mean, it's. Yeah. So inspired by the model of the national. Okay. Again, we we covered this in the, uh, the other one. I didn't name. I have to say it. This is just the name of it. I can't change it. Um, <clears throat> inspired by the model of the National Association of Colored Women, Walker began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. The result was the establishment of the National Beauty Culturists and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents. <clears throat> its first annual conference convened in Philadelphia during the summer of 1917 with 200 attendees. The conference is believed to have been among the first national gatherings of women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. During the convention, Walker gave prizes to women who had sold the most products and brought in the most new sales agents, but she also rewarded those who made the largest contributions to charities in their communities. As Walker's wealth and notoriety increased, she became more vocal about her views. In 1912, Walker addressed an annual gathering. I did not name this, of the National Negro Business League from the convention floor where she said, quote, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the cook kitchen. From there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. I have built my own factory on my own ground. She helped raise funds to establish a branch of YMCA in Indianapolis's black community, pledging one thousand uh, to the building fund for state at for Senate Avenue YMCA. 
Walker also contributed scholarship funds to the Tuskegee Institute. Other beneficiaries included Indianapolis's Flanner House and the Bethnal African Methodist Episcopal Church. Mary McLeod Bethune's Daytona Education and Industrial School for Negro Girls, which I can understand why it is a shorter name now, and for other reasons now, Bethune-Cookman University yep. in Daytona Beach, Florida. Hey, that featured hey. last episode. Yep. The Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina and the Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute in Georgia. Around 1913, Walker's daughter, Alelia, moved to a New York townhouse in Harlem. And in 1916, Walker joined her in New York, leaving the day-to-day -day operation of her company to her management team in Indianapolis. In 1917, Walker commissioned Vertner Tandy, the first licensed black architect in New York City, and a founding member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, which I think was like one of the first black fraternities there in New York, um, to design her house in Irvington on Hudson, New York, which is such an English name. The English <laughs> named that shit. Um, Walker intended for the new home to become a gathering place for community leaders and to inspire other African Americans to, to pursue their dreams. She moved into the house in May 1918 and hosted an opening event for in to honor Emmett J. Scott, at that time, the Assistant Secretary for Negro Affairs of the U.S. Department of War. I'm s I hate saying this word so many times, but it's 1917. Um, Walker became more involved in political matters after her move to New York. She delivered lectures on political, economic, and social issues at conventions sponsored by powerful black institutions. During World War I, because we can't go through an episode without mentioning it, Walker <laughs> was a leader in the Circle for Negro War Relief and advocated for the establishment of a training camp for black army officers. In 1917, she joined the executive committee on, uh, of the New York chapter of the NAACP, which organized the Silent Protest Parade on New York City's Fifth Avenue. The public demonstration drew more than eight thousand African Americans to protest a riot in East St. Louis that killed thirty nine African Americans. In nineteen eighteen, the NACWC honored Walker for making the largest individual contribution to help preserve Frederick Douglass's Anacostia House. Before her death in nineteen nineteen, Walker pledged five thousand, the equivalent of seventy seven thousand seven hundred dollars in two thousand nineteen to the NAACP's anti-lynching fund. At the time, it was the largest... <laughs> sucks, why did I have to yeah. have that? Um, at, the, at the time, it was the largest gift from an individual that the NAACP had ever received. Walker bequeathed nearly $100,000 to orphanages, institutions, and individuals. Her will directed two-thirds of future net profits to her estate, of her estate to charity. Walker died on May 25, 1919, from kidney failure and complications of hypertension at the age of 51. At the time of her death, Walker was considered to be worth between a half a million and a million dollars. She was the wealthiest African-American woman in America. Walker's personal papers are preserved at the Indiana Historical Society for Indianapolis. Her legacy also continues through two properties listed on the National Register of Historic Places, Villa Lawaro, which was her house in Irvington, New York, um, and the Madame Walker Theater in Indianapolis. Villa Lawaro was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1979. 
Um, Indianapolis's Walker Manufacturing Company headquarters building, re- renamed the Madam Walker Theater Center, opened in December 1927. It included the company's offices and factory, as well as a theater, beauty school, hair salon, and barbershop, restaurant, drugstore, and a ballroom for the community. The building was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1980. And that concludes my story on Madam C.J. Walker, historical woman, incredibly successful black entrepreneur, and philanthropist. I love that. I love her. She was super cool. There's actually a movie that I had seen about her um, with, oh gosh, what's her name? Oh, what is her name? The lady, she was in The Help. <laughs> Not Viola Davis. There were a lot of ladies I know, there the were health. so many ladies in the health. This was, she won a, a Best Supporting Actress Award. The lady who made the poop cake. The lady who made the poop cake, oh, yes. What is her name? Yeah, I'm, I, know, I know her name, so it's annoying. Uh, I will have it here now. We're all going to be really annoyed as soon as you say it, because it's right there. Octavia Spencer. There you go. She's she played, amazing. Yeah, she played Madam C.J. Walker, and it was very, very good. Goodness, um, she's amazing. Yes, I agree. So, yeah. So that's my story in her. Good. I liked her very well, much. Cheers. Actually, hold on. Eric needs a refill. Oh, does he? Yeah. Or do you need a refill? Okay, just kidding. Uh, Eric does not need a refill. Well, cheers to us. Cheers to Madam CJ Walker. I do have to drive tonight. Fair enough. All right. So, I struggled picking, like settling on someone. So did I. I had. There's there's so many people Mm -hmm. to cover that are just so freaking inspiring. I know. Can we just call this like inspirational? Because mine's not really an entrepreneur. That's fine. Yeah. Inspirational. She does start a business, but it's one line in her just magnificent life. That I'm excited that going. she's still alive. Yeah. So, I so. Am, I'm going more modern with this. Um, it's I chose her. Um, it's relevant to her current time. And she's just like all around inspiration and just impressive woman. Just full stop. I'm excited. Um, so today we are talking about Mae Jemison. So, Mae Jemison was born October 17th, 1956, in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, she was the youngest of three. Her dad, Char- uh, Charlie Jemison, her mom was Dorothy Jemison, a maiden named Green. And her dad was a maintenance supervisor for a local nonprofit. And her mom was an elementary school teacher who taught both math and English. Uh, she would find out later in life uh, that several generations back on her father's side, um, however many great-grandparents ago, mm-hmm. not as many as we would like, uh, were enslaved peoples on a plantation in Alabama. Yeah. Growing up, uh, May was obsessed with two things, dance and science. Her- I like those two things too, May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm that. I like dance and science. Her favorite show was Star Trek. Oh my gosh, And yes. she was inspired by Nichelle Nichols' portrayal of Lieutenant Uhura. Uh, oh, yeah. who was Me amazing too. all on her own. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh my gosh, we could do like a whole thing on her. Yes. I was just annoyed at myself just now. I was like, damn, I'm not going to get a chance to cover Katherine Johnson. Oh. Who I fucking love, and I can't yeah. believe I didn't think of her name until just now, but it just turns mm-hmm. out there's a fucking shit ton of, of uh, people we, of color that are so cool. Yeah, and we can continue covering them. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, <sighs> May was growing up during the space race, and she followed all of the Apollo missions, and she was frustrated at the lack of female astronauts. As a child, she was especially interested in nature and uh, physiology. Her mother really fostered her curiosity and encouraged her, but she didn't get that same support from her teachers. 
In kindergarten, Dumb. she told her teacher she wanted to be a scientist. And her teacher responded that maybe she could be a nurse. The lack of encouragement from her teachers didn't face her, though. She entered high school at the age of 12. Yes! She was like, fuck you, I'm gonna get a new teacher. Uh-huh. I'm gonna go to a whole new level. She had been training in ballet from the age of 8, and as a 12-year-old freshman, she joined her cheer team and the modern dance club. Hell yeah. She would go on to study African and Japanese dance, as well as ballet, jazz, and modern. Four years later, at 16, she graduated high school and was accepted to Stanford University. Damn. That's real hard. Yeah. <laughs> Although 16 is very young to be leaving home and moving cross-country to attend school solo, she did. She credits her naivety and her stubbornness with her success. She stands by the fact that a certain amount of arrogance is required for women and minorities to succeed in white male-dominated industries. No, when she attended Stanford, the population there was only like 1% black of mm. the student body. And how many were women? Less. Like her? Yes. Her, Less. And while at Stanford, she served as the head of the Black Students' Union. Uh, she choreographed a musical called Out of the Shadows. Uh, and so she starts college at 16 years old. This is another highly motivated individual. This woman is... Probably the single most inspirational story I've ever mm -hmm. read, just for how motivated and successful she is. Mm -hmm. um, so she starts college at 16. Four years later, double majoring, mm -hmm. she graduates with her bachelor's in science and chemical engineering. And makes time to be head of the union. Like, uh, and okay. a bachelor in arts in African and African American studies. Damn. Upon graduation, she has the crisis everyone has when they graduate. Does she go off and become a professional dancer? <laughs> or does she go to med school? Or does she maybe live out her dream of becoming real-life Ahura and apply to NASA? Lucky for us, she ends up casually attending Cornell's medical school. Oh, that was so casual. During her time in med school, she continues to study dance, but she also goes to Cuba, Thailand, and works at a Cambodian refugee camp. She works for an organization called Flying Doctors, and at mm. 25, in 1981, she receives her MD. <laughs> oh, wow. She interns at L.A. County's USC Medical Center and worked as a general practitioner. From 1983 to 1985, she worked as a medical officer for the Peace Corps in both Liberia and Sierra Leone. She also supervised the Peace Corps' pharmacy, laboratory, medical staff, as well as providing medical care, writing self-care manuals, and developing and implementing guidelines for health and safety issues. Damn, self-care for it was cool. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Uh, she also worked for the CDC, helping with research for various vaccines. Damn. After her time in the Peace Corps, uh, May settles in L.A. and opens a private practice. For kicks, she enrolls in graduate engineering classes. And it's at this point, astronauts Sally Ride and Guillaume Bluford inspire her to revisit her dream of visiting space. Look, it's never too late to go back to school or to be a highly motivated individual. She applies to NASA to become an astronaut in 1985. But NASA puts a pause on selecting new astronauts after the Challenger disaster in 1986. Yeah. 
Undeterred, she reapplies again in 1987 and is accepted into the astronaut program. Hell yeah, why wouldn't you want her? She was one of 15 selected out of 2,000 applicants. Yeah, because yeah, she's like a combination, like, shit, like, I mean, I don't know how many languages she speaks because it wasn't like a, her other linguist. Her mom was an English professor. Okay. Uh, but I was or like, English teacher. Gotcha. But she's the doctor as well. She's McCoy slash Uhura. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 1987, she was named the first black female astronaut. Oh my gosh. And CB, randomly, CBS featured her on their most eligible singles show. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Yeah. Who, I mean, sorry. I don't know. Who's going to step up to the plate to be qualified to date uh, you, her? But you better come ready. How are you going to earn a seat at this woman's table? I do not Because, damn. I you do. better be ready to be a house husband. <laughs> right? If she wants that. If she I even don't wants know. I don't even know what she wants. Yeah. Jeez. She gets everything she wants, so. It's true. Shit. Um, so when she gets home, dinner's made. <laughs> and Eric's ready to. Clothes, and clothes are folded. like. Is this show still going on? Because I am a very eligible yeah. bachelor. Well, this aired in 1989, so perhaps not. But We don't know, ladies. Uh... Dinner's cooked. Clothes have been washed, <laughs> folded. Right. Put aside. Kids have already eaten and have already been changed. Like, no, Eric's you ready are... for house husband material. <laughs> He's going to be like a seahorse. He's going to carry the kids for you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she worked at the Kennedy Space Center, assisting with pre-launch activities, including, from what I understand, was like user interface testing uh, for the Shuttle Avionics Integration Laboratory, or SAIL software. Mm -hmm. On September 28, 1989, she was selected to join the STS-47 crew as Mission Specialist 4, and was also designated Science Mission Spe Specialist. A new astronaut role being tested by NASA to focus on scientific experiments. Jemison flew on her space mission from September 12th to September 20th of 1992. It was a cooperative mission between the United States and Japan, um, and it was the 50th shuttle mission. Jemison logged 190 hours, 30 minutes, and 23 seconds in space, orbited the Earth 127 times, the crew was split into two shifts. Jemison was assigned to the blue shift. Throughout the eight-day mission, she began communications on her shift with the salute, hailing frequencies open. <laughs> A quote from Star Trek. Dude, she was like, I don't care what protocol is. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm a hurrah, gosh, damn it. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, she took a poster from the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, which was her, um, her dance studio, mm -hmm. uh, along with her or sorry, with her on her flight, uh, she also took a West African statuette, a photo of the pioneering aviator Bessie Coleman. Aww. Um, Another person I was a little sad. I didn't, I didn't have time to cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Bessie Coleman was the first African-American with an international pilot's license. Uh, while in space, May worked on the autogenic feedback training exercise, a technique developed by Katricia S. Cowings. Uh, that uses biofeedback and autogenic training to help patients monitor and control their physiology as a possible treatment for motion sickness, anxiety, and stress-related disorders. So we thank you. I was like, <laughs> uh, if she had done nothing but that, <laughs> us with anxiety, we thank you, ma'am. Yep. Thank you, doctor. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, she also worked on NASA's fluid therapy system, uh, a set of procedures. Um, and equipment to produce water for injection, 
and then she used IV bags and a mixing method uh, to use the water from the previous step of purifying water uh, to produce a saline solution in space. Uh, she was also the co-investigator of two bone cell research experiments. And another experiment she participated in uh, was to induce female frogs to ovulate, fertilize the eggs, and see how tadpoles develop in zero gravity. This is the kind of experimentation we are here for. <laughs> right? It's fine with that. Um, throw back to the last episode. The <laughs> last, last, last episode. Oh, no, that frog all. seems a little sus. <laughs> yeah. Um, upon returning to Earth, she resigned from NASA in 1993 to start her own company. Yeah, she did what she came there to do. But not before LeVar Burton found out that she was a fan of Star Trek Ooh. and invited her on. May got to appear as Lieutenant Palmer in the episode Second Chances in Star Trek The Next Generation. O.M. Goodness. <laughs> she was the first real-life astronaut to ever appear on the show. You think that was, like, the highlight for her? You think that was, like, I her? I hope so. She's just like, yeah, I mean, I did all that stuff, yeah, I went to space, but I was also and, on Star Trek. And she also, like, appears in, like, um, How Shatner Changed the World and, like, a bunch of other That's things. That's so cool. I love it. Well, and how, also, she changed the world. Uh, well, you know, the Enterprise is, like, a keyboard. It yeah. has a space bar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that Thank riveting you. contribution. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is plus content you can expect when he's here. <laughs> that was good. Um, Jemison served on the board of directors of the World Sickle Cell Foundation from 1990 to 1992. So, while she's being an astronaut. Oh, you know, just... Casual. Casual. You know, like when you're just winding down for the evenings and you know, solve this problem. In 1993, she founded the Jemison Group, a consulting firm which examines... Uh, the Sociocultural Impact of Technological Advancements in Design. She also founded the Dorothy Jemison Foundation for Excellence uh, and named the foundation in honor of her mother. One of the projects of the foundation is The Earth We Share, a science camp for students aged 12 to 16. To 34. No, I'm sorry, 12 to 16. <laughs> no, I want to go. <laughs> founded in 1994, the camps have been held at uh, Dartmouth College and other sites across the United States. Like where? Like well, Jenny in Florida? No. <laughs> I could just infiltrate. Um, <laughs> like, I'm 16. They also operate internationally in South Africa, Tunisia, and Switzerland. Oh. Uh, the Dorothy Jemison Foundation also, also sponsors other events and programs, including the Shaping the World Essay Competition, Listening to the Future, a survey program that targets obtaining opinions from students, Earth Online, an online chat room that allows students to safely communicate and discuss ideas on science and space, and the Reality Leads Fantasy Gala. Jemison was a professor of environmental studies at Dartmouth College from 1995 to 2002, oh, where she directed the Jemison Institute for Advancing Technology in Developing Countries. In 1999, uh, she became and Andrew D. White, professor at large at Cornell University, which sounds like she's committed a crime, but it's really just a fun way of saying she was on the board of trustees. <laughs> um, Jemison continues to advocate strongly in favor of science education and getting minority students involved in science. Uh, she's a member of various scientific organizations, such as the American Medical Association, the American Chemical Society, the Association of Space Explorers, and the American Association for the Advancement of Science. 
1999, Jemison founded the Biosentient Corp and obtained license to commercialize AFTE, which she was working on in space, mm -hmm. or um, the technique that they were testing in mm -hmm. STS-47. In 2012, Jameson made a winning bid for the DARPA 100-Year Starship Project through the Dorothy Jameson Foundation for Excellence. Um, the foundation was awarded $500,000 uh, for further work as in the form of grant. Mm -hmm. uh, the new organization maintained uh, the organizational name 100-Year Starship. Uh, Jemison is the current principal of the 100-Year Starship. In 2018, she collaborated with Bayer's Crop Science and the National 4-H Council uh, for the initiative named Science Matters, which was aimed at encouraging young children to understand and pursue agricultural sciences. She has published five children's books. Mm. Uh, yeah, those will be going on the list for children, I know. Yep. Uh, in 2009, Jemison participated with First Lady Michelle Obama in a forum for promising young girls in Washington, D.C. public schools. Fuck yes. In 2014, Jemison appeared at Wayne State University for their annual Dr. Martin Luther King Tribute Luncheon in 2016. Uh, she partnered with the Bayer Corporation to promote and advance science literacy in schools, um, emphasizing hands-on experiential learning. She took part in the Michigan State University's lecture series, Slavery to Freedom, an American Odyssey, in February of 2017. In May of 2017, Jemison gave the commencement speech at Rice University. She discussed the 100-year plan, science education, and other topics at Western Michigan University, also in May of 2017. What a fucking get. I wish, I, I, my, not that my commencement speech, uh, like, speakers weren't good. But damn, imagine, like, that's your commencement speaker? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, great. Lottery. In 2017, Lego released the Women of NASA set with minifigures of Jemison, Margaret Hamlin, Sally Ride, and Nancy Grace Roman. Uh, the Google Doodle on March 8th of 2019, International Women's Day, featured a quote from Jemison, never be limited to other people's limited imaginations. She And she's received... So many accolades. <laughs> I like, saw you scroll. I was like, oh, uh, okay. Holy There's gee. so many. One everything. The 1988 Essence. I'm just going to pick and choose a couple yeah. of these. Uh, the 1988 Essence Science and Technology Award. Uh, the Ebony Black Achievement Award in 1992. In 1993, she was admitted to the National Women's Hall of Fame. I think you have like easily over 50 awards. Yeah. Uh, in 1993, she got the Kilby Science Award. Uh, also in 1993, uh, people named her one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. I'm excited to see this lady. Um, in 2002, uh, she was listed among 100 Greatest African Americans, according to Malifi... Oh, I'm going to butcher this person's name. I'm sorry. Keet Asante? Keet or Keety? I don't know what that middle name is. I'm sorry. Um, in... 2002, she was inducted into Texas Women's Hall of Fame. Uh, 2017, she became the Buzz Aldrin Space Pioneer Award winner. Um, in 2019, um, Florida Southern uh, named her honorary chancellor. Uh, there are many institutions named after her. Um, 
We'll just list them. There's so many. And she's won. She's received honorary doctorates from Winston-Salem College in North Carolina, Lincoln College in Pennsylvania, <laughs> Princeton College, Wilson College in North Carolina, Dartmouth, Harvey Mudd College, Rensselaer, Polytechnic University, DePaul University, Polytechnic Institute of NYU, and Florida Southern. On top and, of the doctorates she actually has. And on top of the doctorates that she damn well earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the incredible story in life of Mae Jemison. Well, cheers to Mae Jemison. Cheers, cheers to, to Mae Jemison. For sure. All right. That was a fantastic story. She was a highly motivated individual. Motivated, successful, successful brilliant. Yeah. Amazing. Dancer. <laughs> Eric's like, my future wife, maybe. <laughs> Eric has a crush on her. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um, you cannot objectify her. No. We don't no. even know what she looks like, but apparently she's beautiful. I want to see what she, she looks is. like. May Jemison. Honestly, um... All right. Yeah. She's very cute. Her astronaut photo! I know, when she was such a baby. So she reminds me of, um... The captain from Discovery. <laughs> like, when she has her very short hair. Oh, um, Michael. Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham. Yeah. Look at she her on rem- Star Trek. Oh my gosh. I love she's it. so, oh my gosh, this girl. Yeah, she's beautiful. She is cute. Badly. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, like, she's got, like, the happiest smile. I know. Well, gosh, she's just, she's just done everything she's ever set out to do. Yeah. That's what success looks like. That is what success looks like. If you ever need, like, a portrait of success, it is this woman in her astronaut suit. With the best, like, And that's only one thing that she did. And that's why, like, I don't want to call her an entrepreneur because she's she's a doctor. She's an astronaut. She's a ballerina. What can't she do? Nothing. She's not limited by other people's She's not limited by shit. Yeah. I adore this woman. Like, I fangirled so hard when I was writing this and, like, learning about her. Um, I was looking up, like, most influential women, okay. and she came up, and I was like, yep. I get that. Yeah. no. And then the sense. opportunity to tell you about an astronaut, like, I had to, right? Obviously, yeah. I knew you I'm so surprised story. myself I didn't pick Captain Johnson, but it's okay, because hopefully we have many Februarys ahead of us, so. And also, we can just pick, you know, amazing black women any, whenever any we want. Time. It doesn't have to be limited to February. Yeah. <laughs> whenever. But, um, um, yeah, so I adore her and her life, and it's still going on, and I'm excited to see what other fantastic things she's going to do. She's still further impress us. Yeah, she's only... And I'm sure she will. She's two years older than my dad. Like, she's so She may yet become a dancer, like a professional one. We don't know. (laughs) She's not limited by our fucking limitations, so... Oh my gosh, what an excellent... What an excellent pick. I mean, all of them are excellent picks, but what an excellent pick. Um... So, yeah, so that concludes uh, session two uh, from Black History Month. Yeah. That was way, I, I, that was definitely a much higher note yeah. than, than. Equally as important, far less sad. Yes, equally as important, far less sad. Um, of even the first Black History Month episode, too. Yes. Um, We're trying to do, yeah. like, a happy one. And then, like I said, like, realist, not, they're all realistic, but, you know, right. just one acknowledging awfulness. Right, some things, then, some things you need to know are perfectly happy. Yeah, some, <laughs> some of them are, are yeah, and I thought this one was just amazing. I like, yeah, I like that a lot. So, um, wonderful okay. woman. 
So, uh, guys, uh, we will talk to you next time. But in the meantime, you can find us on our website, historywoes.com. Uh, if you'd like to become a Patreon, uh, you can do that at forward slash history woes. We can't promise you'll get to sit in the same room with us as Eric. He has, he's put in some time here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, you can also find us on our Instagram, also forward slash history woes, where you can find our link tree and listen to the podcast wherever your podcasts are streaming. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>